This is Line Dance Podcast. I'm Christopher Gonzalez. Hello, and welcome to Line Dance Podcast with Megan Barcelia and Christopher Gonzalez. Uh, what is your name? Douglas Miranda. And what would you say is your primary role in the line dance community? I'm an event director with my lovely wife, Jackie Miranda. Any events we may have heard of before? <laughs> we have the Tennessee Shindig and Vegas Dance Explosion. Oh, so that's you guys. You're the Doug and Jackie of Doug and Jackie's Vegas Dance Explosion. Yes. Yes, I am. Well, I am very curious. How did all of this get started? As far as I've heard, it's one of the largest uh, line dance events in the world, definitely United States. Uh, it's been going strong for many years now. What what got you into the event directing biz? I was a teacher at a community center in Laverne, California, and we thought it would be fun to take our classes by bus to a little city called Laughlin, Nevada, similar to Vegas, but smaller. Um, we held the event at the Riverside Hotel, and during that weekend, we would give lessons and have dances at night and gamble and just have fun. So we had many of our classmates go, and it just grew and grew until we had over 300, and we outgrew the ballrooms there. And after a couple of years, we moved it to Las Vegas because they had bigger facilities. What was the growth rate like going from year one to where we are today? And where do you see it going in the future? When we first did this, it was 1995, I believe. And we were at maybe 160, 175. That was the size of our class. And most everybody went, and a few of them brought their, a few of the ladies brought their spouses. Uh, we would have charter buses come pick us up. We would do parties and games and bingo on the, the ride there. Cause it was a three-hour, three-and-a-half-hour ride to Laughlin from Southern California where we lived. And then we, more people wanted to come the following year. More people wanted to come after that. And then we had to cut it off because we couldn't capacitate the the amount of people that filled the dance floor it, it exceeded what we should allow to make it fun and safe so we then looked for another location so we could have more people come and join us and that prompted us to move to las vegas and we did and we first had an event at the sahara a well-known hotel on the strip where las vegas boulevard meets sahara it was a one-room workshop we did two of them, one in April and one in September for two years. And then we moved to the Palace Station, which is across the 15 freeway, and did that for three years. And then we moved to the Riviera, did that for 11 years, I believe. And then that was scheduled to be imploded. So we moved here to Westgate. And this is our fourth year. The Westgate has a, a unique feature about it toward the top of the building. What would you, what would you characterize as being the, the nature of the uh, top few floors? Well, they are known, the Westgate, prior to being the Westgate, was called the Hilton, the Flamingo Hilton before that, and before that, 
it was built as the International Hotel, which became the home of Elvis Presley, where he had eight years of consecutive sold-out shows. The top floor of the Westgate, the 30th floor, was where Elvis lived during his residency and his performance residency. At that time, it was a 45,000-square-foot suite. It's huge. has a pool outdoors. Upon his passing, years after, they divided that 45,000-square-foot suite into three 15,000-square-foot suites, added two additional pools, and um, we were fortunate enough to be offered one of those suites when we first came here because we had so many people, and it's been it's amazing, just simply amazing. Stupid amazing because of all of the luxury and the, the ornate decorations and painted ceilings and furniture and steam showers, saunas, and it's just a, it's, wow. It's just wow. And you've been there. You've seen it. How, what did you think when you first saw it? It's like a maze of luxury, as, as you say. It's um, it's definitely. I mean, even just looking around the, the suite that we're in at this moment. I mean, you've got columns and plants in the corner with you know, spires and and things happening on the ceiling. <laughs> Megan, what are your thoughts on the Westgate as the home of Vegas Dance Explosion? Um, well, the Vegas Dance Explosion. I love it because I, as much as we've mentioned that it's a very long walk between the ballrooms and the um, elevators to get to your rooms depending on where you're staying we always end up almost like the last room closest to the glass elevator on the north wing I don't know how we do that every year but we're pretty much right there Um, I love that it's tucked back away when we're dancing but as for the suites they are quite impressive to the point where um, I think one room is probably bigger than most apartments I've stayed in. <laughs> so it's quite impressive, the detail and the furniture and just the, like you said, the luxury of it. Um, it's definitely a sight to be seen. The instructors. I'm, I'm curious, when you're selecting instructors, bringing them here from all over the world, what is it that you look for as far as um, a mix? Because it, it does seem like a diverse mix of instructors who all come here together to Vegas, which is interesting because when you look at the strip, it's kind of like looking at the entire world with all of the different themed uh, themed buildings that they have, themed casinos. And you have your themed um, dance nights on uh, the course of the weekend. Uh, when the people do their performances, you see some of that individual culture come from each of them based on you know, where they first picked up dance. How do you find the, the various talents from around the world? Well, for 12 years, Jackie, my lovely wife and dance partner, toured the world um, doing what the instructors who come here do. And we would teach at workshops and we would produce and perform in different countries and different shows. And we started as a um, she, she became a member of my class, and I was asked to compete in an event in Pismo Beach, 
um, called Pismo Beach, Pismo Beach Western Days. Fern Black was event director. And we took uh, eight people from our class and formed a team. We were really interested in, in team competition. And 60-some other class members followed along, attended the event to support us in our competition. And lo and behold, we won first place in team competition. And, and back then, there were a lot of different teams that competed. So I, I think it was a, a probably over 14 teams in our category. So that was exciting. Other you know, couples, and we, we'd have a good time. Jackie and I were friends. Then we, would, we were asked to give workshops during that event. Then somebody who was there from another country met us, saw us, and invited us to compete at their event, and that happened to be in Australia, uh, in Perth, Australia, the Sand Groper Stomp. So we went, competed. Uh, we were fortunate enough to win. It was just Jackie and I. We did dual competition, and somebody from New Zealand was there, and somebody from Singapore was there, and we were extended invitations to go to different events and teach and perform, and it just went on from there. We've been very fortunate to uh, dance all over the world, uh, spectacular places. We've we've danced on the, the Great Wall of China, on top of the Eiffel Tower, under the Eiffel Tower, in front of Pope John Paul, um, Tiananmen Square, uh, just different places and different memories. So it's been it's been great. We've really enjoyed it. And of the the folks that you've met from around the world, who would you say have been like your your longest standing friends from the line dance community? Because I, I know that uh, you did some dancing in the Bay Area and you know some folks there. And I'm sure you've known Joe for it must be a while at this point. I first met Joe Thompson in England. She was touring at the same time we were, and we were both teaching at the same event. And uh, that was my first introduction. And Rob Fowler, the same way. And this was in late 1990s or maybe early 2000s. And I saw Joe teach at Santa Anita Raceway in California. And I also saw Joe on her television show, Wild Horse Saloon. So we knew who she was. Um, I'm sure she didn't know who we were. But once we uh, met, she's so genuine, sincere, and just sweet and wonderful. Uh, We became friends, and, and we're really proud to have her as a friend and as an instructor um, she's been coming the last few years here in Vegas, and we love her. What would you say are maybe the, oh, if we had to narrow it down, like top five keys to the success of Vegas Dance Explosion compared to uh, you know other events that exist in the world? Because I, I know that some events, they come for a few years, they stick around for a little while, and then you know maybe they seem like they were a passing thing for that area, for that city. But Vegas just stays and stays. And I know that some people, some people have said it's the location because of the surrounding environment. Some people like like the size of it and uh, the variety of instructors and and uh, technique workshops that they uh, have to select from. What would you say would be the the five that you really stress uh, are you know at their peak? before the event starts so that people can get the most out of them? Well, what I feel has made the explosion successful here in Vegas is the fact that we listen to the dancers. Each year, we receive probably 70% of our evaluation sheets back. And the ideas that come from the dancers, whether they're anonymous or they sign their name at the bottom, are, are wonderful. Um, we don't think this stuff up ourselves. They're the ones experiencing the pros and the cons during the event 
and they tell us what they think we can do to make it better and every way we can we do um, all dancers in our eyes are equal um, nobody regardless of their ability is any less important to us than another and pe different people have different tastes so we want to offer everybody something that they can enjoy that appeals to their likes and in our travels we have seen other instructors at different events different countries and we look for those that connect with the the dancers that are there and those are the instructors we choose to invite and when they accept we're honored and proud and every person who is on our staff that teaches is equally important to us and to the dancers and they're treated that way and I think that that that's a, a formula that works so far so good how do you select your DJs based on uh, you know what we've seen is everybody seems to, to leave the rooms where they're dancing happy and the, the ballrooms go for hours into the night uh, how do you how do you find the right mix for the different styles of uh, ballroom that you guys offer, such as the beginner improver request room, uh, the line dance lobby, which is a whole unique animal of its own. Uh, then the intermediate room, the main ballroom. Uh, what, what, is, what do you look for in terms of um, what you know about those DJs beforehand? Willingness to work with each other. Um, willingness to please the dancers that are attending the event and not one group of friends or one clique of dancers uh, reading the room and watching. If you see with Vegas, there there are people that come from maybe Montana. I think we had sixteen people as a group come from Montana. Uh, maybe a hundred and fifty people come from Florida. We have over four hundred people that come from Canada, and these are folks that are spread all over the U.S. and Canada that may dance different dances at different times. Their favorites are different from one another. The DJ has to look around the room and recognize, hey, that group over there is not up on the floor very much. And those that will get up and walk over and talk to them or encourage them and make them feel that they are open enough to listen so that that group will approach them and say, boy, we really love to play this dance or to this song and it'll be an educated DJ who'll say, well, I know that song goes to another dance. We can do a floor split. It's, it's a skill and it's a, a talent. But we offer different rooms that will enable the DJ to do their job. For example, we have our what we call our main ballroom. That's where um, JP and Louis have played and watch and read the crowd and play what they think will fill the floors. Our all request ballroom is just that all requests the people in the room request the dances they want to hear they want to dance to that dj will play those dances and mix them up so that one person can't come up there and write 32 dances in a row they're smart enough to watch and and make sure everybody's represented the beginner's ballroom is just that it's for beginner dances not for beginners only we want them to play beginner dances there's advanced dancers that love to dance to beginner dances and there's nothing wrong with that we want the beginners to know that this room is for them and of course we have the line dance lobby that starts at 8 30 every morning plays until the show starts when the show starts or our evening dances start we literally have 
open dancing from 8.30 in the morning until the last DJ shuts down their equipment, which could be at 2, 3, 4, or 5 o'clock in the morning, six days a week here at Vegas. And I think that's that's something for everybody. So I was curious, since um, one of my favorite things about Vegas happens to be the fact that it is six days. What made you guys decide to do six days as opposed to what we typically see, which is a Thursday through Sunday kind of event? Business. Because by having six days, the hotel sells more rooms. The people that come spend more money. Thus, the hotel will give us more ballroom space, lower room rates, uh, affordable amenities that we can pass along to the dancers, and that makes it worthwhile to us, makes it affordable for the dancers. I mean, they're paying, I think this year's rate is $59 per night for a room, $59 a night for a room, so that four people sharing a room can afford six nights, Two people sharing a room can afford six nights. Maybe somebody who's going to be in a single room can afford that. Um, the hotel doesn't charge us for the ballrooms if we reach a room quota. Thus allows us to spend money on more instructors from far away, airfares, their fees, um, decorations, dance floor, large dance floors that we have to rent, uh, the technology that we use to allow us to uh, display the dances in three different rooms at the same time simultaneously so that somebody can read on the board, oh, in three songs, my favorite dance is going to be played over in this room. I'm going to go over there after I do my favorite dance that is in this room, but before that I'm going to dance my favorite dance in this other room. And that's what is exciting and makes it special, makes it unique. So that's expensive technology to have the internet and well i hire people to do that but it's expensive let me tell you it's really expensive so we like to put our money back into the vent to make it better nice um so speaking of the screens uh where did that idea come from because i know as someone who loves to dance and i am definitely one of those that likes to dance as many of my favorites as possible I found myself running back and forth just last night in fact um I love the idea of knowing what's going on in the other ballrooms so that if there's two or three songs that I'm sitting out of in one and there's two or three that are going to be played in another I still have a chance to dance but I'd love to know where that idea came from from Jackie Jackie as an event director which was her second passion her first passion is as a dancer And we would be at events that we were running, and she would be handling situations, problems, whatever. And all of a sudden, we'll have heard her favorite song just finishing up because she didn't know it was coming up. Um, Other dancers found out that their song was played when they went up to the room to change their shirt or switch pairs of shoes or go to the restroom. So we thought, well, why don't we go ahead and put a list of what the next few songs will be played so people can make that decision. I believe we were the first ones to do that in a ballroom. Well, then at Vegas, we had three, sometimes four ballrooms going at the same time. So we still had a problem that, well, we were dancing in one room, but our favorite song was being played in another room. And a dancer 
suggested, why can't you have the DJs communicate with each other and display what they are playing so that, number one, they don't simultaneously play the same song and the same dance, but it would give everybody a chance to see what is coming up in different rooms. Well, in the early days, we had to run Ethernet cable to communicate that across hallways, tape it down, and but then technology has allowed us to do that via Wi-Fi and Internet, and lo and behold, we have three ballrooms, three screens, and displays of what's going on and I don't believe anybody else does that and it's really a nice feature here at the Vegas Explosion for the dancers that's what it's for it's for the dancers so more for the dancers um and I know that this has come from suggestions uh more about how the lobby came to be the animal it is and having the vendors there and the food there I would love to know how that really kind of formed into itself more than just um, the suggestions by the dancers. Well, I can't take the credit for creating the concept of a lobby line dance floor. I saw that at a world's event in Nashville back in maybe 2004 or five. I don't remember when that they just the line dancers were not the first priority of the UCWDC association. We were always, as I felt, and I hope I don't offend anybody, but we were the bastard child and always in a small room downstairs, down the hall, and maybe there was a plastic floor, maybe there was no floor, maybe it was concrete, but they needed the support of the line dance community to help fund the event. And then one year, they only had one ballroom. And when the competition started, there was nowhere for the line dancers to dance or give lessons. So somebody there put a floor up in the lobby and it had to be amongst the vendors. And we saw that everybody hung out in the line dance lobby, line dancing. It was a small floor, um, had to be a softly played sound system. And there weren't there wasn't seating because there was no room for that, but it was a very popular item amongst the line dance community. So we thought, how cool would that be if we could have a line dance lobby that was designated to be an attraction to spouses who don't dance, uh, comfortable chairs, a place to rest your feet, eat and make requests and just keep going and it's evolved and it's become I think one of the most popular things here at the explosion and we'll always have a line dance lobby or that same concept at any event we do nice um there was one other one question that I was kind of thinking about which is having to do with the fact that you offer the regular idea of a workshop several ballrooms several levels for everyone where did the idea to also include technique classes or, for instance, classes like um, Norm Gifford does his music uh, class? I know Michael Bart, either it was either today or tomorrow, will be doing the one for aspiring choreographers, as well as the West Coast Swing lessons come into play into this line dance event. Well, the idea of technique came from the dancers 
and suggestions on and comments on their evaluation forms. And so many instructors are so good at conveying their ability through their with their skills and technique to the dancers that it's it's very popular workshop. Um, West Coast Swing was asked from a dancer that first started with Joe and John Kinzer, who they danced West Coast Swing, and they said, well, my husband, he doesn't line dance, but he's here in Vegas, and he spends his time at the sports bar, or he just sits in the room and watches TV, but he would do couples. Well, I don't want to be a couples workshop uh, event, but by offering the West Coast Swing classes and or basic two-step or waltz classes, a lot of the spouses of our line dancers had an opportunity to get out there and maybe spend one hour a day, maybe three or four days out of the six days doing something. And it's grown to the point that people are signing up just to take lessons from well-renowned choreographers and, and, and dancers like John Lindo. And we have uh, Abby and Stefan here this year and, and Joe and John still do that. So it's, it's, it's been good. And they're line dancers who like the couples and there's nothing wrong with that. We encourage it and it's going to grow. We can't let it grow too much because we have no other room <laughs> that we could give to them unless we take the plunge and go across the way into the large convention center. But we would need to at least have another 500 people to make that feasible. Hint, hint, nudge, nudge. <laughs> well, it's it's in the works. It's in the works. But we will never, ever neglect our passion, our love for line dancing. That will always be our first priority. Having couples will be welcome, but our love and hearts are in the line dance world. Now, one other question I have is about the choreography competition that you guys do. Because that was kind of my first exposure with uh, Christopher having the choreography um, competitions. Uh, what made you guys decide to include that? And how did you guys decide on the prize of the choreography competition? Well, I have a box full of certificates and little trophies that I've achieved with Jackie over the years for different competitions and they're, they're special and they mean a lot, but they're in a box up in the attic. You know, they only look good on the wall for so long. We entered choreography competitions and competed through the CWDI and CWDC organizations for many, many years. But then it just seemed to take the fun out of it because of rules and regulations did our, our, hat stay on our head for so many minutes and was the yoke of our shirt the proper was the skirt so many inches off the knee and we didn't feel that was part of the fun of line dancing so we felt that there was a lot of ability with different dancers who have creative ideas steps choices of music that we wanted to open up to just average joe come and you've written a dance show it off and we wanted the dance to be judged by fellow choreographers and we wanted them to judge the dance not the way it was taught and I felt that a lot of times at events and I've been judged a judge for CWDI that and UCWDC as well that 
it was all about the technique and the terms and the prim and proper that isn't the style of line dancing that we are attracted to. So we opened up choreography, but then we saw that it was hard for a beginner dance who, which was choreographed by a dancer to compete with a phrased 64 intermediate count dance. So we had to divide that in divisions and boy, just people swarmed with submissions. And, and then, well, what's a prize? Give them their winnings in cash, maybe their choreography entry fee, or give them a gift certificate. A lot of times the hotels would give us uh, door prizes, and I'd give that to the choreography winners. But then when we said the winner can teach at the next year's event, our entries just multiplied threefold. Because, wow, what a way to get exposure when you can teach in front of 400 people at any one class. I mean, how who, how many people can do that? Not only from one class, but from around the world, you might have 50 or 60 instructors in that class. And if they like your dance, guess what? They're going to teach it. So uh, it's it's helped us. I mean, I've, let's see, one of the people that I think has, has had a launch career, Amy Glass, entered choreography at a Vegas dance explosion, very shy, very timid, very new to line dancing, but she's so sweet and, and creative and, and just a gem. And look what she's doing now. I mean, we didn't give that to her. She earned it. And uh, I, I think it's really paid off. And a lot of times I tell all the choreography competitors, this is just the opinion of one group of judges in the room at the time that you teach. And whether you're in first place or last place, you never know who might take that dance and teach it to their class. Somebody else sees it and likes it and go on and on. And I've seen dances become very popular that did not win first or second place in one of our competitions, but they are better known than maybe the dances that did. So a lot of possibilities. I think it's a great program. Now, speaking of choreography, we actually are familiar with a, a couple of Doug and or Jackie dances. And I'm curious, what are the stories behind such dances as Hooked on Country and Sugar Sugar and I Like It Loud? And are there any that uh, that you feel deserve their own special story? Well, Hooked on Country was the first dance that I ever choreographed with help of friends and input we used to dance at a place in Ontario, California. This was when I was in my 20s. I'm 58 now. And this, so this was in 1984 to 1987. It's a place called the Rusty Horn. It was a country western bar. Um, I went there after work with other friends that I'd grown up with, gone to school with. And we just hung out and I saw line dancing. And I first saw line dancing from the movie Urban Cowboy. And I think that came out in 79 or... 78, 80, right around there. And I thought it was cool. I said, I want to do that. And and I had danced disco, and I remember dancing The Hustle. And that I guess that was my first line dance that I ever did. But we would play around. We dressed in boots and big buckles and cowboy hats and uh, just had fun, live bands. And then one day, a lady who was sitting at the bar said, hey, I think that's great. Would you want to demonstrate on our stage what this line dancing stuff is. And she was a representative from someone who, uh, in, in advertisement with the Pomona, L.A. County Fair in Pomona. And 
there were eight of us that said, yeah, we'll go do that. And we wanted something new, something fresh to show a lot. And the song Hooked on Country had been released. It was out for a little while by the Atlanta Pops Orchestra. So we put together a little presentation. And the first thing that we did of that uh, 20-minute exhibition was this dance that I called Hooked on Country because that was the name of the song. And I remember writing the steps on a napkin to teach to each other. There was no internet, no computers. We didn't have that back then. But one of the things we wanted to do is be different. So I started that dance with shuffles going backwards. A lot of shuffle dances back then. We shuffled forward, we shuffled to the side, we shuffled in a circle, but nobody ever shuffled backwards. There was not one dance that I ever seen. Um, So that was the beginning and Went from there. Somebody saw it at the fair who danced in Northern California. And then who knows? Somebody else saw it and it just went all around. And when I look back at it now, I wish I had phrased it to the song. But it's too long ago and too late for that. And we demonstrated it and, and looked good. And we, we danced uh, other dances. And I think back then it was a wooden nickel and tumbleweed and a few things that we did that during that presentation, but it was popular, and, and we all wore matching shirts, and that was the start of it. Are there dances that you wish would come back, uh, whether your own or others? Uh, I, I know um, in particular one that I think you mentioned at the Quick Steppers event uh, not too long ago, Cannibal Stomp. You, you highly recommended that. Are there any others from the past that you wish would make their way back into the ballrooms? Swing Time Boogie by uh, Scott Blevins. Love that dance. Always have. Um, yeah, a lot of the reggae cowboy and and the, there was um, Cherokee fiddle that was done in a circle. We used to teach that in classes all the time. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of dances. The, the, the Copperhead Road dance that we used to do. And I, I think a lot of the new dancers, these are dances that are 25, 30 years old that would be brand new and exciting to the dancer that's been dancing for five years, 10 years, 15 years, and they've never seen them. And I think it'd be great. We thought of having a classic dance room at Vegas. Um, and I think we did that one a few years ago, especially when some of the choreographers of those dances were present. But there's so many that they're they're out of the love of line dance now and they don't dance anymore or they've passed on. But um, I remember... Um, Dances by Charlotte Skeeter, Bill Bader, uh, Knox Rhine, Neil Hale, um, Hot Tamales is, is a favorite of ours. We love that dance. So I don't know if it'll ever happen, but it would be nice if all those aspiring choreographers and current choreographers just took a pause for, say, six months and brought back dances that were older. It would just put a breath of fresh air into the line dance community because these are keepers and so many dances are done now and you labor learning them and then they're not played. Um, the dances that, that I remember, uh, my Greek number one, I taught that in class for years. Fernando, um, Roy Verdonk taught that event years ago. Um, there was Trust Me was a big dance. Have you heard of any of those? No. Big and popular and everybody loved it. And you don't even see them in classics anymore. It's a shame. What do you suppose the difference is between dances these days that you know they're they're big for a year and 
then you don't see him at all at the same event the following year, which we've noted uh, has happened a couple times at a couple events that we've been to this year. You know, they'd be all over the charts, and then they're gone. And, and you know, back in the day, you'd have more staying power uh, for some of those dances. Do you think that there's anything that's brought about that change? Uh, the internet, YouTube, um, great websites for dancers like Copper Knob, uh, before that, Kick It. Uh, that has made so much available to people from all over that more aspiring choreographers will get music, uh, find it off of iTunes and other sites. And yeah, we didn't have that back then. So it's, it's just opened up a whole new world. And for the folks who have stuck with it, like yourself, you mentioned that line dance is your first love and, and it'll always be your priority, especially for an event uh, such as this. For the, the folks that have been in it as long as they have, like Joe and uh, Simon and I mean, until his retirement recently, uh, Guyton, you know, what is it that keeps people immersed in that passion like yourself you know what what is it about line dance that um, that sticks with a person to to the point where they're they're doing it for decades watching um those individuals that are by themselves without a spouse a husband boyfriend doing something with so many people from so many walks of life at the same time different ages it's just it's a rush to know that wow i created something that that 84 year old is doing right next to that 22 year old and tomorrow and in the middle there's a lot of 50 year olds and 60 year olds and 40 year olds and it's just it's 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 a joy and you know it's like when you bake a batch of cookies and give them to your friends and they love them and they eat them and they taste them and they say how wonderful it's a good feeling. It makes it all worthwhile. Choreograph a dance. People like it. It's a good feeling. It's a good way of expressing yourself. Yeah. If there's a message that you could put out to the entire line dance world, just like a, like a billboard on the highway that all of line dance would see, what is something that you would like to share with all of them? Assuming you have their ear, their undivided attention. Well, to the world who don't line dance, um, we had this slogan on a T-shirt for many years, and I would want them to know that line dance is not just country anymore. Cheers. <laughs> and there is a lot of country, and it's great and wonderful, but it's more than just country. And you know the typical stereotype of line dancers is kicking and slapping and yeehawing and cowboys, and it's it's much, much more than that. And it would be fun if those who didn't know had an opportunity to be exposed to what it is. And I think that would, would allow it to grow immensely. Thoughts from Megan? Um, other than just, I agree. <laughs> All right. Now, if, if there are other folks out there who would like to reach out and talk to Doug Miranda of Vegas Dance Explosion and also the the um, the theater project you have going further eastward. What would be a, the best way that people could contact you? Uh, we have our website, which is www.dj for Doug and Jackie, djdancing.com, um, and that has all our contact information. www.djdancing.com.
Okay, doke. And uh, Megan, you had something to say? Sorry, I wasn't aware you were headed that direction just yet. Um, I was actually curious about your, I guess, projects in Pigeon Forge. I was not aware until just recently, I guess about 11 months ago now, um, (laughs) that you and Jackie have a theater out there. Can you share a little bit more about that? We do. Since 2008, we have a theater called the Grand Majestic Majestic Dinner Theater. Um, And you could find information about that, www.thegrandmajestic.com. Um, after our 12 years of touring and living out of a suitcase and not owning a dog, we decided we'd like to settle down, visited Pigeon Forge, saw that, uh, there was this theater available. We thought, well, let's just move here and we can put together shows that had a lot of dancing, a lot of fun and go to work at six at night and come home about 10, 1030. And what a wonderful life this would be. Well, this is our 11th season. We go to work at 8, 9 in the morning, come home at 11 or 12 at night. <laughs> and But we're still doing what we love. But the best thing, the, the biggest thing that I enjoy the most is I get to do it with my best friend. And we spend almost every minute of every day together, and we love it. And we put our passion of dancing, line dancing, along with couples dancing and music that we like. We have three shows um, America's Hit Parade, which is 50s and 60s. We have the Soul of Motown, which is great Motown classics from legends, and our Hazard Hoedown. And I guess we have a fourth show, which is our Tis the Season. It's at Christmas time and standard wonderful Christmas hits. So we're doing what we love to do. This might be a, a slightly personal question, but I have to know because you two are just relationship goals. How How do you two just keep the magic alive so that like anyone in the room with you two knows how in love you are. I don't know. It's just, um, we're, we're best friends. We like the same things, like to do the same things. We're big Disney fanatics and we love, we have season passes to both Disney's on in California and Florida. We've in our travels, we're fortunate to to visit every Disney around the world, with the exception of the new one in Shanghai. But um, we've been to Hong Kong and Japan multiple times, Euro Disney, and it's it's just a wonderful thing. And um, we're just two kids in adult bodies, and she's she's wonderful. She's soulmates. I, I don't know. I'm just a lucky man. I truly am. I love it. All right. This is a tougher question. It involves dance. We've stumped a few people on it. If there were one dance that you would recommend for everyone to learn, something that would enrich their life to have learned it, what might that dance be? Well, let me think about that. Um, I think world recognize would be a tush push um because we've traveled all around and, and tush push i've never seen a variation of that dance I've seen many variations with boot scoop boogie slap and leather some of the other dances but tush push has always remained the same so for someone who would want something universally recognized it'd be the tush push but other than that there are so many dances that um 
are amazing. Um, I, you know, you mentioned earlier about Guyton Mundy retiring. Um, to this day, I still believe in my heart of hearts that he is the most creative choreographer I've ever seen or worked with. And, and there's a lot of great choreographers out there, but he, he has brought some innovative ideas and styles to the dance world that, that now are being adopted by many other choreographers, and it's enriched this whole uh, line dance scene. So it's a good thing. All right. Well, thank you so much for sitting down and, and uh, chatting with us after I think I started doing these interviews in 2015. It is now 2018. We, we tracked you down. So thank you uh, for sitting and uh, answering questions on Line Dance Podcast with Christopher Gonzalez and Megan Barcelia. Until next time, we will see you on, on the, the dance, dance floor. floor.